Okay, good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here this morning. This is our favorite part of the service, is getting to meet everyone. This is why people love King's Cross, is they get to meet so many people. So thank you for getting out there and shaking hands and getting to know each other. Sorry for cutting it short, uh, but then again, I don't want to go so long that then you guys go, hey, why Wayne preach so long? Hey, so if you don't know me, my name is Wayne. I am a member here at King's Cross, and um, I grew up in the church, so one of the things that used to happen in our church is we had these weeks, weekends that the teens would actually take over the service. So that's sort of what this is like, all members taking over the service. So uh, our pastor Obed is actually preaching today in Ventura, and he is also taking an extended vacation, and then Dan is out on vacation, so you get a strong B team. Okay? We're on the bench, we're ready to go to the majors, but just not quite yet. So... We are in the book of Philippians, still in chapter 4. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in verse number 2. And uh, we will look at that in just a minute. So what I'm going to do is uh, what I'm known for, and Obed gives me just a little bit of latitude as I change things up from time to time. So we're going to stand. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then we'll read our scripture, and then we can all be seated. How does that sound? If you'll stand with me as we read, pray and read God's word. Father, I'm asking your spirit to come into this place today. And Father, fill this place with your peace. Allow your peace to rule in this place and in our hearts. Father, as we read the scripture, reveal to us what it is that we need to hear. Lord, push me out of the way and speak in my place. So Father... Let us do you honor and read your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Philippians 4, verse 2. So I implore Iodia and I implore Sinchi to be the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companions, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also, and with the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men, and the Lord is at hand. So be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. You may be seated. So when Obed gave me this passage to preach on, I 
I called them back and I said, so how many sermons did you want out of this passage? I mean, there's like a thousand things you can preach out of this passage. And so this is what he said to me. He says, well, if you want to take 45 minutes, that's okay. And I go, okay. Uh, so I'm just pre-warning you. I'm going to do my best to stay on time. But uh, we're going to see what God has to say about this passage. And so I got to thinking, because this passage deals a lot with peace. And so I'm thinking, how can I illustrate peace? We, we all know when peace is absent, right? Sort of life stinks. You know, it's, we long for peace, but really understanding what peace is. When we are in the midst of peace, sometimes we don't even realize it, just we think it's good. It's sort of like living in San Diego. We think every day is supposed to be sunny and 80 degrees, you know? And the only time we think about it is when it gets a little cold or a little too hot or didn't burn off in time for surfing. You know, it's just, a, you know, all these things that we have, that's sort of how we treat peace. It's like, I know when I don't have it, but when I got it, I just, you know, it's what I should have. So I said, I want to illustrate peace today. And I could not think of a way to illustrate peace. And so one of the cool things about this church is we have a lot of creative people in here. So I went knocking on doors and I said, okay, I want to illustrate peace. Can you help me think of a way to illustrate peace? And um, so I gave them like two weeks and I finally called them this week and I said, did you come up with anything? So they did come up with something. And so I do have an illustration for you. I don't know if you can see this little vase full of blue water. And if you can't, I'll tell you in just a moment when I'm about ready to do something. And then you can go, oh, okay. I, I was looking for something taller, but I didn't have anything tall. Hayata, you want to hold it up? No, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> so just, just for, it's, it's a vase full of blue water. So I think you all have probably remember this passage um, in Mark, um, the fourth chapter, Jesus was in the back of the boat asleep and the waves started tossing and turning and the ship started rocking and everyone on board, of course, except Jesus, he was asleep, thought that they were going to die. So the disciples come and they wake him up and they say, Jesus, do you not care that we're about ready to perish? And so what did Jesus do? He got up, he wiped the sleep out of his eyes and he said, peace. He calmed the waters. He just made them peaceful. So that was the illustration. They said, have a bowl of very calm, clear water. I grew up in the Midwest, water skiing. Best water skiing, Table Rock Lake, like about six o'clock in the morning before all the boats get out there. And it is just like walking on the water when you're skiing. You get outside that wake and you're just on that flat glass and you're just sliding along, and it is just magical. It's very peaceful. And so we got this very clear, very flat water here, and this represents peace. But then life comes along and drops things into our life, and it stirs everything up, and it moves all of that peace around. So what are we supposed to do? Wait for the water to calm again? Well, while we're doing that, Life drops something else into our life, and then all of a sudden, it's all stirred up again. We get to the point to where the disciples were, and they're like, do you not care that we're going to die? Do you not care that we're going to perish? And so 
you're going, Wayne, you're way off the boat. You're supposed to be in Philippians chapter 4, verses 2, and you're back in Mark. Where are you going with this? So what this passage is teaching me is, is peace possible? Is peace possible when life at this moment stirs everything up and tips everything over? Is it possible? Is peace possible at that moment? So what we're going to look at is what Paul is teaching us in this passage about peace. So first he opens up my, uh, there you go. First he opens up and he talks about these two ladies, Iodia and Sintichi. So obviously these two ladies had worked alongside of him in the gospel and they had been, you know, leading people to Christ and they had a ministry of their own. So Paul in Rome from the church in Philippi, 800 miles away, had heard that these two ladies had some kind of a difference. We don't know what it is, but he implores them to agree at least on the Lord. So whatever it is that's causing the friction, he's saying, let's bring some unity and some peace back into this relationship. So whatever was going on, Paul heard about it, and Paul wanted to address it. And Paul says something really interesting, and he says, hey, you champions in the church, that's what you guys are. You're the champions of the church. He says, I want you to help these ladies reunite. So that's all we're given. So I can say, well, that's that verse, and we move on to the next verse. But then you go, well, what do we do with that? Uh, what am I supposed to do as a champion to help people mend their relationships? Or if I'm in a relationship that needs mending, how do I bring that relationship back together? So I have a slide up there, and I put all this on the slide just because some of you might want to take some notes about where these scriptures are, but here are some helpful suggestions on how to mend or help others mend relationships straight from God's word. First of all, understand it's our duty to reconcile. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, that we are called to a ministry of reconciliation in our lives. As Christians, we do not have the option to let broken relationships lie and fester. We must work to repair them. So first of all, it's our responsibility as Christians to reconcile our relationships. But the second thing is very important. Pray to God before taking any action. Because you can get in really big trouble if you don't keep in mind that we can't fix things on our own. If you think as a champion, you can go fix someone else's relationship on your own, then you're already in deep water. And so well, we need to pray to God, ask him about this situation, ask him for wisdom, patience, love, invite him into the middle of this relationship. See, it's God's grace that can change the relationship, not any of Wayne's words, not any of your words. Then we need to make it a priority to get the two parties to come together. It can be a challenge, but God says in Matthew 5 that it's more important to make peace with others before you worship. So ever heard the phrase, don't let the sun go down on your anger? Well, that's sort of what this is talking about. Today is the day to deal with broken relationships, not six months from now. So now we need to listen carefully and talk caringly. 
a lot of times we get into a lot of trouble with people because we don't really listen to them. So when you are encountering people that are in a damaged relationship or in a stressed relationship, what I want you to remember is Philippians 2.4, which we just studied not too long ago. Don't look at your own interest, but at the interest of others. That's what Paul asks us to do. So be thinking about others and what their concerns are and not like, I got to win this fight. I'm the right one in this broken party, and I've got to show the other person how right I am. So you want to then also check your words and check how you talk. Proverbs 15.1 says, with a gentle answer turns away anger. So a gentle talk with a humble heart will always rule at the end of the day. Now, a lot of these is like, what, Wayne, is this like the six points of mending a relationship? No, but these are things that we need to remember to do because if we're trying to do things in our own power and our own might, we'll be like these two ladies. We'll continue to struggle with broken relationships. You see, in this room, there's probably a litany of strained or broken relationships that we have going on within our family or within workers or like these two women that are co-ministers that are at odds with each other. And so we don't want to keep that progressing, and that actually can bring a lot of friction into the church, and that's why Paul was addressing it with these people at Philippi. So once you talk carefully and caring, listen carefully and talk caringly, then we want to really address the root of the problem. When two people are no longer against each other, then they can work to identify what the real problem is that is keeping them from agreeing with one another. And in Proverbs 18, it says, to answer before listening is folly and shame. And then it goes on to say, the heart of a discerning acquires knowledge for the ears of the weak. I'm sorry, for the ears of the wise seek it out. I'm sorry. Um, so basically what Paul's saying is we need to be listening to one another and listening for what that truth is, what that root of that problem is. So I want to close this with pursue peace overall. The chances that you're always going to agree 100% with another person is slim, but that's not what this is about. We're not trying to win. It's not like finally we've agreed on this thing and I'm the right person. That's not what this is. We're just trying to get two people back together where that relationship can continue to grow and to blossom and that they can use that relationship then to minister again as they once did to women in the gospel. So relationships is a gift from God. They make us stronger. They remind, they remember when relationships are strained, both parties take some responsibility, but God's grace provides the opportunity to bring them back together. So Paul talks about peace in our relationships, and now here in verses six and seven, he moves on to focus on peace in all situations. So this is where he talks about anxiety. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, you're going to find one of the most difficult things to obey in the entire Bible. Paul says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. If you do this, you will experience God's peace. It's not easy to stop worrying. 
um, really, when things are scary and it's uncontrollable, you find yourself really having a difficult time just letting go. I was telling Obed, he, he always checks on me before I preach just to make sure I'm okay and uh, make sure I guess I'm going to show up. <laughs> and so um, <clears throat> he says, how you doing, Wayne? And um, I go, you know what? I don't like this passage. God has made me learn this this week. He's taken me through lessons. Like, I don't want to confess to you that I was having anxiety this week. But I had some situations came up, and they came up more than once, that literally took me from anxiety straight into worry. And so he didn't say that I was now incapable of preaching to you. Uh, he just uh, listened to me and recognized the struggle that I went through. And that's what you need to understand about even our pastor, is everything that he teaches us, he's learning right along with us, and he's applying it to his life just like we're applying it to our life. And so it wasn't easy for me this week to stop worrying. Um, and then Paul goes on to say, you know what? You should pray about everything and thank him for all he has done. For a grateful prayer brings peace. God says that when you start to worry, that's when we need to start praying. Now, not pray for the first time, but start praying with a thankful heart. So this week, God made me learn everything, just like I was telling you, and it was difficult. On more than one occasion, I had a situation that came up that left me anxious, and anxious thought can be harmless on its own, but when you dwell on it for a long period of time, then it has an opportunity to turn into worry, and then if you worry for a long period of time, then you can start getting fearful that things aren't going to work out, and it's all going to fall apart, and this relationship will never get back together, and I've had it, and I'm, I need to get out of this situation. I, you know, I need, to, I need the things to change. You know, we, we go to drastic measures. <clears throat> that is why Paul told us to take captive of every thought and make it obedient to Christ in 2 Corinthians 10.5. Because these thoughts, once they get into our head, they start making us worry. So how do we deal with anxiety? Well, the world offers us a number of ways that we can deal with anxiety. But I think the Lord's prescription is probably the best. But some people turn to drugs. They turn to cigarettes, gambling, alcohol, food, comfort, other relationships. But some of the drugs are legitimate, and they come via prescription, but we can't medica medicate ourselves out of an anxiety thought or thoughtful thoughts of anxiety. Nor can we eat, drink, or smoke them away. So what is God's prescription for anxiety? Paul tells us, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We don't have to be anxious about anything because God takes request 724. And once he takes out his request, he passes them right on to God and he makes sure that he gets them. And that's a good thing because about 1145, I woke up all worried 
And I tried this praying thankfully thing, and peace did not just immediately come. So what I realized is something bigger was going on, that there was actually a battle going on for today, whether or not I could allow peace to reign in my heart. And so I realized very quickly, as big as I am, I wasn't going to win this battle. So I had a conversation with God, and I told him, Lord, I can't do this on my own. This is a battle that's bigger than me, and I need you to win this. So I'm giving it to you. Then I turned, and I had a, very, a much more serious conversation with Satan. I just said, listen, if you wake me up again about anything with this situation, just take it up with God, because I am not on my own anymore. God is with me. So I claimed the very scripture that he tells us that is the truth, and I said, I need your help. And I went back to bed, and I was actually able to sleep. And I woke up five hours later, and I was at peace. Because the battle is not mine. The battle is his. And I was very thankful that he's God and that I'm not, because I don't have the power to accomplish what I was going through at that time. So a verse came up in my mind in 1 Peter 5, 7. It says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So Peter tells us not to just set politely our anxiety at God's feet. He says to cast it. And Webster, I think it's on the slide up there, defines this as <clears throat> flinging, hurling, or throwing. I'm like, what? <laughs> so your anxiety, hurl it to God. <laughs> Fling it to God. It's like aggressively get rid of it. Why? Worrying is toxic. So for those of you that have not lived in San Diego very long, we have this Tijuana River. If you know anything about the Tijuana River, it's full of junk. We get a good rain. All that goes into the ocean, and it contaminates the ocean. They put up signs that you can't swim, you can't have fun, stay away. And that's exactly what happens in our life sometimes is we allow just anything into our life. And so what, what is being shared here is get rid of this toxic worrying and fling it to God. And that's exactly what I did that night. I just chucked it to him. I said, no more. I can't do this. I don't want to carry this any longer. So, five out, so Paul has addressed peace in relationships, and then he addresses peace in all situations. And now he comes to verse 7 and 8, and it, he talks about peace in our soul and our mind. This is what it says. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So here in verse 7, it talks about peace that will guard our hearts and minds. For the early Greeks, the heart was the place in which our soul resides. The very essence that makes us a creation of God is where the heart, for the Greeks, they thought that's where the soul was. So what, what is being shared here is this 
peace that passes all understanding, that's going to guard our soul and our mind. The main passage here, or the main message here in Philippians 4.8 is to transform one's thinking in order for peace in our soul and our mind. Paul is able to speak from a personal experience. Where was Paul when he wrote this book? Go ahead, you can talk to me. That's right, he was in jail. For those of you that have never been in jail, that is not a real pleasant experience. And there's no reason not to worry and not to have anxiety. And especially for Paul, what was going to be the outcome? He had no idea what was going to be the outcome of his court case. And so here Paul was in prison, and he was writing to the church at Philippi to show them that through his own personal example and testimony, that it was possible to make it through any situation with God's peace that surpasses all understanding. It's easy to dwell on the negative and find faults with others when our life is disappointing and painful. That's why it's important for us to follow this verse's instruction. It's here to help us as though the thought, the tough times and it's here to help us through the tough times and to appreciate the great moments. But Satan wants to whisper in our ear. He wants to lie and, can, and bring condemnation and make us think that it's not even him that's whispering that into our very ear. And so we start to believe them, and then we react with despair, and we start worrying, we get angry. And those things seek to separate us from the love of God. But in this verse, Paul gave a way to combat Satan's efforts. We are to feed our minds with the blessings of God and the good things that we find in our lives and in, this, and in our situations. We need to think about what is true rather than the lies that Satan would have us believe. We are to dwell on what is noble and right so that our actions will follow suit. And then we are to put into our minds whatever is pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy, all these things that help us stay focused on God's love for us and, his, and Christ's sacrifice. So you may be going, hey, Wayne, you've gone through this list like about five times this morning. Yeah, and I'm going to probably go through it a couple more because it's really hard to change our mind. This is a radical way of filling our minds with the truth. I mean, literally everything should run through this verse as to what we place into our mind. So, but we must actively practice this even though it is, even at the most difficult moment, Christ will help us fight painful situations, trials, and all the difficult things that we face. It may reclaim, it's the way that we reclaim that, our, I'm sorry, it's the way that we reclaim that the life that we live will bring us hope, love, faith, and gratefulness. So if we're going to cut down on stress, anxiety in our life, that's when we need to really guard what we put into our mind. A lot of us, it's like our mind is a highway and we just let anything drive onto it. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, the result is a lot of traffic. 
and uh, we can really get a lot of anxiety. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I get stuck in traffic, especially when I haven't given myself time to get to where I need to go, I'm anxious. And so we got to put some toll booths in our mind, and that's what this verse is about. This is the things that we need to check what's going into our mind. C.S. Lewis said this, God cannot give us peace and happiness apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. Without God himself, peace cannot reside. So on our own, if we are not in that relationship and having that relationship active and literally thinking about these things that Paul's asked us to filter our thoughts and the information that's coming into our life, then it's going to be challenging for us to maintain peace. So let's let these eight characteristics Paul describes in this verse be a litmus test on the way that you allow things into your mind. So to reduce anxiety, keep from worrying, to hold fear at bay, we need to control what you allow in your minds. So before you read, watch, talk about anything, run it through the litmus test. Is it true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it admirable? Is it excellent? Is it praiseworthy? Then let it onto the freeway. Everything else, keep out. So the nice thing is, is this is my last point. We need to practice peaceful behavior now. Just like anything you want to improve on, you have to practice. If you want to be great at piano, you got to practice the piano. If you want to be good at a sport, you need to practice the sport. If you want to have peace in all situations, in relationships, in your mind and your soul, you got to practice it. I encourage you not to wait for the game to start practicing or wait for the concert to start practicing. We want to practice ahead of time. And so that's what Paul did all of his life. His, his, since he came to know the Lord, he started practicing steps in which he could grow closer to the Lord. You see, he had relationships. If you read about Paul's life, he had relationships that were rocky at times. He actually said, no, keep Mark away. You know, Peter and him didn't see eye to eye on the whole circumcision thing. And so there were these things that, you know, were struggles for Paul, but he knew that he had to mend these relationships. And so he did that. And that was his preparation for the high anxiety times in his life so that he'd be ready. And then all situations. I mean, if you want to know, read the book of Acts and hear all the situations that Paul found himself in. He, this wasn't the first time he was in prison. Man, Paul's a radical dude. And I mean, um, he's, he's been in shipwrecks. He's been bit by snakes. He's, all these kinds of things have happened to Paul. And so he's learned in all situations to find that peace that God will prevail. And then he's even found that in his very soul and in his mind, that that's where peace needs to reside. And he does that by filtering it through these very things that he gave us as an example to do. Paul's talking out of his personal experience. He's, this is his testimony that he's sharing with this church. You want peace? 
here's what you need to do. So Paul now says, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice. Practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. If there's anyone, anyone that should be anxious or worrisome, that's Paul. Paul says before, he says to the church at Philippi, and now he's saying to us today, before we have relationships blow up, before situations that, any situation that can cause us to panic, and before we lose our mind to fear that we will lose everything, before all of those situations, that's when you need to start practicing peace. That's when we... Today is when we need to start practicing mending those relationships that God's calling us to do. And if you can't mend them, ask for help. In all anxious situations, pray to God with a thankful heart and allow him to fight that battle. Practice that. Practice renewing your soul and your mind by allowing what is true and noble, right and pure lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy to enter your thoughts. I want to challenge you guys. When you get anxious, it's usually we want to blame things on the outside. It's because of this is why I don't have peace. But it's usually not the situation that keeps us from having peace. It's usually what lies between our two ears. It's our mind. And so God or Paul is sharing with us that what he does to lay hold captive of his mind is to filter what he puts into his mind. And I heard this growing up in church, and it's like, yeah, yeah, but I like these, this show. I like these books. I like this. And so I allow myself to venture out. Don't be surprised, Wayne, when these turbulent times come, that it's struggle for me to have peace. See, it's only when I can guard my mind and protect my heart with the things that God wants to put in there, those good things. And it's not all like Bible stuff. I mean, there's great things all around us in every situation. And that relationship that you are struggling with, if you have one of those, there's something great in there. Go digging for it and find it. Find out what the reason was that you started that relationship in the first place. In every situation, there is something good that God wants to bring to light, but we're only focusing on what we don't like. So today, I'm asking you, if you are in a situation where you are pleading that peace comes into the midst, that you follow these steps that Paul offers you today. And if you're not in them, I urge you to practice for the day that the water becomes turbulent again and you need that peace. Is peace possible? That's what we started with. Is peace possible? In the good times and in the bad times, peace is possible because it's available to all of us. But there are certain steps that we can take to walk closer to the Lord that ensures that peace. So 
If you're in a situation where you would love to pray or talk to someone, grab one of the leaders of the church. You can even grab anyone at the connect table and pray with them today because I definitely don't want anyone to leave here feeling the way I did at 1145 this week. That was just miserable. And I don't want you miserable. No one should be miserable, especially leaving church. You should be happy. (laughs) You should be peaceful. And that's what I pray for every one of you. Let's pray together. Father, I am so grateful that you are God and I'm not. And Lord, I am so grateful that you can look past any of my mistakes and allow you to shine through. Father, there is some great stuff in this passage, and I pray today that it was heard by everyone here. And Father, I pray that you allow peace to reign in everyone's hearts and everyone's mind. Father, if there's anyone here that is struggling with that, if there's anyone here that is hurting in their very soul, that's that's a powerful hurt that I pray that they will step out and ask for prayer, even if it's the person next to them right here in church or if it's one of our leaders, that they just, Lord, will call to you because you are there and ready to help. Thank you for loving us so much that regardless of what we go through, you are willing to bring peace that surpasses all understanding. In Jesus' name, amen.